Praise the Lord. Turn your Bibles, if you would please, to the book of Exodus chapter 10. Exodus chapter 10. Exodus chapter 10. I want to begin reading in verse 1, Exodus chapter 10. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might show these my signs before him. And that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and of thy son's son what things I have wrought in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that ye may know that I am the Lord. And Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. Else if thou refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow will I bring the locust into thy coast." Now, the text tonight or today comes from chapter uh, 10 and verse 3, where in the middle of the verse, he says, How long will thou refuse to humble thyself before me? I want to preach today on when God asks how long. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I beg you again today for the filling of the Holy Ghost of God that as I preach, your word will go forth in power. Lord, speak to the hearts of the lost, convict of sin, righteousness, and of judgment. Turn their heart to thee, I pray today. And Lord, for believers, challenge our hearts. Lord, how many times, I wonder, have you said to our own hearts, how long, how long, how long? God, we ought to be responding to you immediately and giving ourselves to you completely. Have your way in our lives, and Father, we'll thank you for everything that you do, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. I was shocked as I went through the scripture just finding that phrase, how long? Many, many times. It's not an unusual question that is asked. As a matter of fact, somebody even suggested that that question on how long can tell what stage of life you're in. For instance, they said that middle age is when you go from wondering how long the car will last instead of how fast the car will go. That would be the difference, for sure. But how long? A lot of people ask that question. It can be the plea of a parent wanting to know how much longer their child is going to remain in sin. It might be the question that comes from the lips of an individual who's just heard from the doctor that they have a terminal disease. And they might ask, how long do I have? How long, a loved one might ask, when they find out that they're being deployed to a battle zone or they've been given a very difficult and arduous and thankless task to do and they wonder how long is it going to take? Well, you know, you study the scripture and you find that there are a number of places in the scripture where people ask the Lord how long. And there are also a number of places in the scripture where the Lord asks people the question of how long. So you have it from man to God, and you also have the question asked from God to man. For instance, in the matter from men to God, we find a number just in the book of Psalms alone. In Psalm 6 and verse 3, he says, My soul is also sore vexed, but thou, O Lord, how long? Man asked God again in Psalm 13 and verse 1, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long will thou hide thy face from me? In Psalm 35 and verse 17, 
Lord, how long will thou look on? Rescue my soul from their destructions, my darling from the lions. In Psalm 74 and verse 10, the scripture says, O God, how long shall the adversary reproach? Shall the enemy blaspheme thy name forever? And then in Psalm 79 and verse 5, How long, Lord, wilt thou be angry forever? Shall thy jealousy burn like fire? In Psalm 80 and verse 4, O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou be angry against the prayer of thy people? In Psalm 89 and verse 46, How long, Lord, wilt thou hide thyself forever? Shall thy wrath burn like fire? Or in Psalm 94 and verse 3, Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? Now, there's some interesting messages that can be preached from every one of those how longs. But the ones that should be the most important to us is when God says to us, how long? How long? We seem to act many times like it doesn't really matter to God whether or not we waste our life. It doesn't matter to God if we waste another year or another month or we remain in sin uh, another decade longer. But God does ask the question, how long? Here in the passage that we read today, we see the first one of the how longs and that's the how long to the sinner because he's dealing with Pharaoh. You remember back in chapter five when Moses first went to Pharaoh and said, the Lord God has said, let my people go. Well, in ver- pardon me, verse 2 of chapter 5 of the book of Exodus, we find Pharaoh responding by saying, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Well, in chapters 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, he was finding out who the Lord is. The Lord is over all the gods of the Egyptians. The Lord is over all of nature. He is the creator of all. He is the all-powerful one. He is the sovereign one. He has found all that out, but he still has not surrendered to let God's people go. And so God has Moses speak to Pharaoh again. And he says to him here in the passage, how long will thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Do you know in order to even get saved, you've got to come to the place where you humble yourself before God? You've got to realize that you're not such a good person. As a matter of fact, you're a wicked person. For the Bible says all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. As a matter of fact, at the end of verse 22 of Romans chapter 3, he begins that phrase by saying, For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. A lot of people like to think, well, at least I'm not as bad as those people over there. I'm not as bad as the child abuser. I'm not as bad as the murderer. I haven't robbed a bank. But God says there's no difference. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is still death. Ezekiel 18, 4, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Now, God has given very clear and decisive instructions about this matter of us being lost. And he gives this warning. He says in Genesis, he says, my spirit will not always strive with man. There comes a time when God says, that's it. When God says, no more, we're done. And he doesn't tell us when that, what that's going to be for each person. God has warned us in his word of the need for salvation. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he says, marvel not, I said unto thee, ye must 
be born again. It's why Jesus went to the cross of Calvary where he died for our sins. 2 Peter 2.24, who his own self bear our sin and his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you're healed. And listen, Jesus makes this very, very plain. In John chapter 14 and verse 6, he declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's only one way to the Father, and that is Jesus Christ. Peter agreed with that in Acts 4.12, and he said, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. He's it. Muhammad can't save anybody. Confucius can't save anybody. Buddha can't save anybody. The millions of Hindu gods, they can't save anybody. The only one who can save anyone is Jesus Christ. And you're either going to go to heaven through Christ or you will die and go to hell. Now, the Bible's very, very plain about that. As he died on the cross, rose from the dead three days later, he offers us this free gift of eternal life. But you don't have forever to make that decision. The Bible's very plain. He warns us, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away, James 4, 14. I mean, he warns us very clearly in the word of God, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. In Proverbs 29 and verse 1, he declares, he that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that... Oh, that. When you, when you reach that point, no hope, lost, undone, in hell forever. God wants every lost sinner to come to him today. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, he's not willing that any should perish. But get this, whereas he doesn't want you to perish, he doesn't want you to die and go to hell. He's not going to make you go to heaven. You have to receive him on purpose. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Jesus said, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Christ is the only hope for everybody. It doesn't make any difference what nationality you are. It doesn't make any difference where you're at on the economic scale. It doesn't make any difference what color your skin is. It has everything to do with whether or not you take Christ as Savior. You take him as Savior, you get eternal life. You don't, you won't have it. And the warnings are so clear in Scripture. Christ is the only hope. I'm reminded I was reading an article the other day uh, that was referring to what took place in 1991, five years after the Chernobyl disaster in Russia where the nuclear plant, of course, uh, they had tremendous problems there. And uh, what happened was at the Chernobyl plant in 1986 that there were two electrical engineers in the control room playing around with the machine. Now think about this. They wanted to check some things out with the machine, unauthorized, of course. And they were trying this experiment, trying to see how long that the turbine would freewheel when they took the power off. 
Well, they had to diminish some things in order to get the reactor down to that kind of power where they could perform the tests that they were interested in. They had to manually override six warning systems that came up one by one. It'd come up, stop, danger, go no further. They'd turn off the warning. And then a second time, they'd turn off the warning. Then the third time, they'd turn off the warning. And finally, that was it. As a result, until just recently, nobody was even allowed back into that area. And the truth is, some radiation went around the world that affected it in a number of different places around the world. All because two men decided that they could just put the warnings aside. Well, listen to me, dear friend. Yes, you may be here today and the gift of God is offered to you, but there's coming a time when God says no more. He says, behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. He wants you saved Today, whether you're watching over the internet or you're sitting here at Madison Baptist Church in Madison, Alabama, if you are without Christ, he is your only hope. Come to him today. You know, I have never met a person who waited to get saved who would tell me that they were glad they waited. Never met a person. Now, I didn't get saved the first time I heard the gospel of Christ. I mean, I was a disc jockey up there in Otsego, Michigan. I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ the first time, the second time, the third time. Matter of fact, I'd heard the gospel probably several times in a period of about six months. And when I trusted Christ as Savior in November of 1971, 22 years of age, one of the first thoughts that I had after I trusted Christ, how dumb could I be? If I would have died during any of that time, I would have went straight to hell to burn for eternity. What was I waiting for? Thank God for his mercy and his grace. Matter of fact, I've run into a lot of people, and I guarantee you there are a bunch of people right here today in this building who believe that if they didn't get saved when they got saved, they never would have had another opportunity. He says, my spirit will not always strive with man. So he says to the lost sinner, how long? Let me give you another one. Turn over to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16, verse 28. In Exodus chapter 16 and verse 28, And the Lord said unto Moses, How long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws? Now, by the way, God had, had given some commands to, uh, through Moses to the children of Israel, and they had disobeyed. And he says, how long do you do that? Numbers 14, 11, and the Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed among them? In Numbers 14, 27, he says, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation that murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. You know, every believer knows that it's better to be right with the Lord. And yet somehow when believers start getting careless in their life, maybe they start by they're not reading their Bible or they're not praying like they used to. 
And then they get kind of used to that. And they start missing a service here and a service there. And they know this isn't how it's supposed to be. And even as God's chastening comes upon them, they think, oh, maybe that's just some, uh, just a coincidence that these things are happening at this time. And so they put off getting right with the Lord. And yet we know the best place for the child of God to be is in the center of God's will, doing his will. We know that. And I wonder how many times times God says to our heart, how long before you're going to get this taken care of and get back right with God? How long? You know, it's better to be faithful to God all the time. For instance, even in being in the house of God where you can hear the preaching of the word of God. He says that uh, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. We're to be faithful to the house of God. We're to assemble. Why? I'll tell you one reason is that your faith would increase. For the Bible says, faith cometh by... Yeah, it doesn't say faith cometh by reading. It says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, don't misunderstand. We should read the word of God. Matter of fact, in Joshua chapter 1, he says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. And then he tells us also in the book of Revelation that there is a blessing in reading the word of God and a blessing in hearing the word of God and a blessing in obeying the word of God. I mean, we know that. So why would we be walking about not serving the Lord like we should, not living for him like we should, and we know it, how long are we going to act like that? I can't tell you, Brother Papua, how many times I've heard people say, well, preacher, when when I finally retire from work, I'm going to get busy for the Lord. And I've not seen many ever do that. They keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. Well, I'm going to start. I'm going to start. Then something else comes up. The devil's always going to put some new toy out there to keep you from being obedient to the Lord. Serve the Lord is just reasonable. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We have the warning in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. And he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. Yeah, God's not mocked. You know, God knows when we don't mean business. God knows when we come and we say we're dedicating ourselves to some former some type of ministry or we're going to get involved in serving him. He knows whether or not we really mean it. People can fool the preacher. They can fool the rest of the church, but you just can't fool God. Psalm 139 declares, there's not a word in my tongue, but thou, O Lord, knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, hast laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, cannot attain unto it. What a great God that we have. He knows us. You realize we can't snow him. We can snow a lot of people. We can fool a lot of people. But we cannot fool God. And he says, how long? You look at the angels, they obey him right away. I, I, you know, I wonder if any of the angels ever think, Brother Fiscus, I just wonder if they ever think, why did he save them? 
We serve him all the time and we love it. And it's so hard to get people to be faithful. To, these people have been redeemed. That's supposed to be the most wonderful thing in the world. There aren't any angels that have experienced redemption themselves. He didn't provide a sacrifice for the fallen angels. To do that, he would have had to have Jesus die every time for each individual angel because they didn't have a federal head. Because we had a federal head in Adam, thank God Christ could die for all of us, offering one sacrifice for sin forever. He's given us this wonderful gift of salvation when we deserve hell. And yet we keep putting off serving him. We don't even think about being faithful to him. The truth is, if a lot of people were as faithful to their job as they are the Lord, they would have lost their job a long time ago. He says to the sinner, he says, how long? He says to the backslider, how long? And he says to the doubter, how long? In Matthew chapter 17 and verse 17, Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration. A man had brought his son to Jesus' disciples that were still down uh, in the valley. They could not cast the demon out of his boy. And so Jesus said to his disciples, Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. Now, the problem was not just that they didn't understand that some things take prayer and fasting. He called them faithless. The just shall live by what? Faith. Our service is to be done by what? Faith. The just shall live by faith. But here were his disciples. He'd been teaching them many great truths. They had seen him do many great miracles. And these disciples he had left down in the valley when he comes down, they can't cast a demon out of this boy. And they should have been able to. But they didn't. Why? They didn't believe right. Numbers 14, 11, how long will this people provoke me? How long will it be ere they believe me? We find when the disciples see Jesus on resurrection day, Jesus had told them that he was going to the cross. He told them that he was going to die. He told them that he was going to be raised the third day. When the disciples, when Thomas shows up after missing the Sunday night service, and they tell them, whoa, we had a great service. Jesus was here. I don't believe it. I'm not going to believe it until I can put my hand in the marks in his, my fingers in the marks of his hand and thrust my hand into his side. I'm not going to believe it. So for a week, he lived in doubt because he wasn't where he should have been. What a shame, Thomas. Living in doubt when you could have been living in victory. But wait, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They had even heard someone tell them, Luke chapter 24 is their story. They had, someone had even told them that Christ had risen from the dead. And even though Jesus had made that plain to his disciples before, they didn't believe it. And so Jesus says to them in verse 25, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. They missed the boat. Why doubt? Hey, just believe God. Psalm 119, 128. Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. 
And I hate every false way. We don't have to be powerless in a service. You say, well, preacher, I'm, I'm not much. You're right about that. You're not much, but he's everything. And the scripture says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I can do everything that I'm supposed to do through him. And as Jesus said in John 15, 5, for without me, ye can do nothing. I can do all things through him, nothing without him. By the way, I'm going to throw this one in here. He says, how long to the preachers? Over in, uh, over in Jeremiah chapter 23, turn there, Jeremiah chapter 23. If we were having a preacher's fellowship, I'd spend quite a while on this. But since we're not, I'm just, I'm just going to say a few things here. Notice he says, first of all, in verse, uh, verse 26, chapter 23, verse 26. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of deceit of their own heart. I mean, there are a lot of preachers out there. Unfortunately, they're spending more time explaining away the word of God than they are obeying the word of God. I believe God wrote what he meant very, very clearly. We've got a lot of preachers that are very busy trying to find all the secret things in the Bible instead of obeying the very revealed things in the Bible. God didn't bring this book around just for the theologian that came out of the cemetery or seminaries. Obviously, a lot of those fellas are so proud in their conceit to think somehow because they've been to a seminary, they've got a special lock on the hidden things of God. But the Bible says in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but the things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. It's still about obedience. But there are preachers that preach God is love, but never God is holy. And yet he is love, by the way, according to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8. But that's not the cry in heaven. Cry in heaven back in, Jer- or in Isaiah's day, in chapter 6 of the book of Isaiah, he sees the beast flying in the presence of God, and their cry is, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. In Revelation chapter 4, 800 years later, John gets a similar vision, and the cry on the lips of those around the throne of God are, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts. Love, a lot like to talk about the love of God and ignore the holiness of God. And yet I believe with all my heart, you can't have any understanding at all about the statement God is love until you understand he's holy. Because only when you understand he's holy do you realize how the depths that God had to go to provide salvation for sinners like us. Preachers today, the preacher doesn't matter what you do. But Romans 1.18 declares very clearly the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. His wrath is against a lot of things. And if it's against all unrighteousness, then dear friend, those who are children of God shouldn't be doing it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for the things done in this body. I could give you a lot more verses, but I must hasten. He also asked, how long do the uncommitted? Famous story on Mount Carmel, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. 
You've got Elijah. You've got King Ahab. You've got the prophets of Baal. You got 450 prophets of Baal and then another 400 false prophets that are there. And the contest is on. You've got a multitude of the people that are there. And if you listen to what what Elijah said, it says, then and Elijah came unto all the people and said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Now the rest of that verse is astounding. It says, and the people answered him not a word. Think about that for a moment. If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal be God, follow him. You need to find out who God is. And then follow him. Why? He's God. You know, Jesus is going to say later in the book of Luke chapter 6, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? If he is Lord, then he ought to be obeyed. Unfortunately, too many believers obey God like a lot of teenagers obey their parents. Anything they do where they do obey, they do it with a sigh and a roll of the eyes. And too many people obeying God, when they finally are stuck to a point where they can't seem to get around it, they do it, but they don't want to do it. And shame on us that it's ever like that. It shouldn't be like that. We ought to be a people who long to obey him. He's worthy of our complete service. Whether it be the lovers of this world, like in Psalm 4 and verse 2, when God says, O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing? Or those that are lovers of open-mindedness? Boy, we got a lot of that today. Psalm 82 and verse 2. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. You know, if we just happen to agree with God about what he says about fornication, adultery, transgenderism, homosexuality... Stealing, drinking, things like that. Oh, people are all over us. They hate us for that. They'll crucify us on Instagram and crucify us on Facebook and they'll crucify us wherever they can over the internet. And uh, oh, we're going to take an unrighteous stand for unrighteousness. That's what they're going to do. They hate it. What's really sad is there's so many Christians that don't have a backbone that won't stand for what God says is truth. And unfortunately, too many preachers that don't have a backbone and won't stand for what God says is truth. That leads me to say this. Turn over to, I didn't have this down. This is going to be free. No special offering for this. Joshua, please. Joshua chapter 1. Moses is dead. The children of Israel are getting ready to go into the land. Joshua is now the new leader. And God gives them some promises. Notice in verse 5, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage, for for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto the fathers to give them. Now wait, he tells them to be strong. Tells them to be of good courage. Says what he's going to do. He's going to give the people the land. He doesn't say a word about the battles. As far as God's concerned, the land is as good as theirs. He says, only be thou strong and very courageous. Why? Notice what he says. 
that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. He didn't say be strong and very courageous, Joshua, to go into battle. He didn't say be strong and very courageous to follow my plans so that you can have victory in the battle. He said you be very courageous to stand for my word. Every problem that, that Moses had in the wilderness was when God's people wouldn't obey his word. The problems they're going to have later on is because they're not obeying his word. Has nothing to do with the enemy. The enemy's nothing to God. But his people are commanded to walk after his word. Well, I've got to go then over to Matthew chapter 5. Boy, one thought just leads to another. Matthew chapter 5. That's okay. It's good for us. We'll be done in time. Nobody's figured out what in time is, but nevertheless, we'll be done in time. Notice verse 17. Jesus is speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. He's just gotten done with the Beatitudes, all the blessings which we love. And he says in verse 17, Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass one jot or one tittle, shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Has it all been fulfilled yet? No. Heaven and earth is still here, isn't it? Okay. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, you'll notice that the statement there in verse 19 has nothing to do with whether or not you're going to heaven. You don't go to hell because you didn't keep God's commandments, and you don't go to heaven because you did, whether it be the least or the greatest. That's not it. He says in heaven. Now, he's talking about people going to heaven. Notice what he says about these people going to heaven. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. He's still going to heaven. You get that? Don't, don't, don't get quiet on me now. They're still going to heaven. I just said you can disobey God and still go to heaven. Because heaven is not decided by your works. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works as any man should boast. So yes, you can disobey God and go to heaven. But you get to heaven and you've been walking. Well, those are the little things. I only disobey on the little things. You'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven. You'll be known for it. You'll be known that for not taking God's word seriously. How about that in heaven? And for those that seek to obey him, believe God's word is authoritative. You'll be known for that when you get to heaven. I'd say that's the place I want to be. Lifting up God's word. And see, for Joshua, he was to be strong and of a good courage. Why? To follow the word of God. To keep God's word. And the promise of success was in keeping God's word. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I just get tired of it. Our, a lot of our Bible school 
preachers today are coming out of their Bible schools telling everybody that God doesn't mean what he clearly said, that he means something else. Out of that comes Calvinism. To be a Calvinist, you've got to believe God didn't mean what he said. You've got to change God's word over and over and over again. Matter of fact, I believe that's blasphemous. Now, when we talk about being sold out to God, I mean being sold out to God, serve him. You don't have to be a pastor or a missionary in order to be sold out to God. Thank God I've had the privilege of pastoring a number, a great number of laymen who were sold out to God. I mean, our churches couldn't be much if we didn't have some laymen sold out to God. Amen. Thank God for them, man. That's marvelous. But I read a story the other day that was written by a man who was a POW during the Vietnam War. And there was another man in the camp where he was at that as it got near the end of the war and they were having the Paris Peace Accords and it looked like things were going to be coming to an end before long, things actually got a little bit better for the POWs. They started getting packages from home. Uh, Many of them in some of the POW camps uh, were taken out of two-person cells and put into like uh, rooms that would hold 30 or 40 people. And there was a lieutenant commander with the Navy by the name of Mike Christian. Mike Christian, as he he started to gather up some uh, pieces of red cloth and pieces of white cloth, what he did was he'd take off his uh, blue top for the prisoners there. And uh, on the inside of that, he sewed in an American flag. And at night, for those who were in that cell that held 30 or 40 people, they would put it up on the wall And all the prisoners would stand and give the Pledge of Allegiance. And that went on for several nights until one night a Vietnamese guard came in, saw what was taking place, went in, tore the flag down and cut it to ribbons. And then they took Mike Christian out and for several hours they beat him unmercifully. They came back and threw him into the cell, beaten and bloodied. It was nighttime by then, and one of the, matter of fact, the man who wrote the article, who was a prisoner of war at that time, he said things had quieted down quite a bit, and he looked over to the one place where there was a light in the room, and underneath that light was Mike Christian, who was gathering some red and white cloth and sewing another flag on the back of the uniform. Buddy, that's commitment. That's commitment. Wait a second. And I don't know, as an American, I love the story. It's great. And it's wonderful to be patriotic like that for your nation, but wait just a moment. Doesn't Jesus deserve even more from us? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And I wonder if God doesn't say to us today, how long? How long before you're going to get serious about serving the Lord? How long? For any who are here that are lost, how long? Before you're going to come to Jesus, you have no guarantee of tomorrow. Are you willing to take that chance with your eternal soul? He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy, 
Come to Christ today. Let's bow our heads. Every head bow. God's people praying. The Spirit of God would move upon hearts. Father, I do pray that you'll deal with us today. Some lost sinner that may be in the auditorium today, may they decide they're going to come to Jesus today. You want them to go to heaven. You've provided the sacrifice for their sins so they could go to heaven. Lord, today may they come to Jesus and receive that free gift of eternal life. For believers, may we get serious with God today. Lord, please deal with us. In Jesus' name.